Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. Thanks for joining us for our study of 1 Corinthians. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Good morning. Please take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So good to be with you again and sing about our great God and Savior and to really enjoy fall. I know I said fall was here a few weeks ago. I think fall is officially here now. Man, it feels good. So look at 1 Corinthians 15 as we begin this mega chapter again of what Paul is going through here. Really the kind of the leading edge and cliff of where we've been going the whole time. We've been climbing and climbing and climbing in 1 Corinthians and now arriving, arriving at chapter 15. And what Paul is going to address here is he's going to address a major problem in the thinking and beliefs of the Corinthian Christians. And, and I think many of us, though we don't have the exact same spoiled fruit in our baskets, we have the lurking close cousin of their issue. And a lot of us suffer from it. And what God wants to show us is how we can get rid of that from chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. So let's stand in honor of reading of God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit of Christ, written down by our brother, Paul of Tarsus, for us. And we need to realize the resurrection, Christ and ours. The Spirit says, beginning in verse 12, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? 
I protest, brothers, my, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Holy Father, now, would you help us to see and to feel and to understand what it means that Christ has been raised from the dead and that we, the second fruits of the resurrection, that we will be raised from the dead at the Lord's appearing. So now, Lord, would you send your spirit now and give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to feel And Lord, would you even begin to draw some to you who do not even have hope in Christ in this life? Would you do this, Lord? And do only what you can do for your glory and for your church's good. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. So what's happening in this chapter is the Corinthians have denied You saw it a lot in the beginning. Paul keeps hammering it again and again and again. The Corinthians have denied that they too will rise one day, that they will have new bodies, that they will live on a new earth forever with Jesus. And everyone else in human history who has called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, beginning with Adam and Eve. And this is pro- they're denying this probably because the idea of a reanimated corpse is not a very attractive teaching in Greco-Roman philosophy. The, the physical is bad, the spiritual is good, so they're not denying that Jesus rose from the dead, they are denying that we're going to rise from the dead. That we're just going to live as disembodied spirits, we're going to have this kind of immortal soul forever. So they're not undermining the resurrection to come, they have dismissed it altogether. They're not dismissing that Christ rose. They're dismissing that they will rise. Now, no no Christian today rejects the resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ. There are people who do reject his resurrection, and they're not Christians. Even if they say they are, they are not Christian. But here's our danger. While we don't reject the resurrection of Jesus... And while we don't reject on paper our resurrection to come, we live as though our resurrection to come doesn't really matter. We almost never think about it. We almost never consider it. And we almost never see its effects and its fruition in our lives right now today. Because according to Paul, the reality that we too will rise one day changes how we live right now. Changes how we live today. The resurrection of Christ after the, on the third day of his crucifixion and the promise that we will rise with new bodies, how much does that really inform your life today? Does the reality, does the reality of your resurrection, does it mean anything practically to you today? Has it meant anything practically to you this week? How is that any different from the Corinthians? 
We're not rejecting it on paper. We're kind of just rejecting it in practicality. And most likely, the Corinthians are thinking they're just going to live as spirits. And while most of us, we are public Christians, it's like in our private thinking, we're almost like Buddhists. We're going to die, and we're just going to slip into this eternal ether and live like that forever. No, you will rise with a new body, a new body in Christ forever. And so Paul flat out rejects this thinking that they're not going to rise. And why is this a big deal? Here, here's why. Look at verse 12 of chapter 15, the, the, right, right at the beginning. So you can see this is the thesis problem of this little section. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, so this is what's happening. Here's what he's correcting. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Why is this a big deal that they're rejecting their resurrection to come? 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, meaning them, meaning us, then not even Christ has been raised. Look at 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So you can see Paul's point. If the dead are not raised from the dead, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And here's why. Christians are united and linked and so tethered to Christ that if we don't rise, it can only be because he didn't rise. You are so, if you are a Christian, you are so united to Jesus and so fused to him that if you are not going to rise again, it is only because he didn't rise again. Do you see how all of your spiritual blessings and all of your life is so connected to Christ? Whatever the Bible says is true about Christians, it is true about Christians because it is true of Jesus. It is true of who Jesus is, and it is true of what Jesus has done for us. And if it isn't true of us, then it's not true of Jesus. For example, the Bible says we are co-heirs of the universe with Christ. If you are not a co-heir of the universe with Jesus, it can only be because Jesus is not really an heir of the universe. Do you see how these are connected? The Bible says we are now adopted children of God. If that isn't true, it's only because Jesus isn't the rightful son of God. The Bible says we are now counted righteous by faith in Christ alone and that no condemnation can ever come our way. The only way you are not counted righteous in God and righteous in Christ because of Jesus and that you are now condemnation free, the only way that cannot be true is if Jesus actually did sin in some way. Do, do you see how all of these blessings, resurrection, eternal blessings, co-heir, these are all true of you because they are rooted in who Jesus is and because we are united to him. Your entire existence right now is completely connected to Jesus. He's the vine. We are the branches. And we abide with him. Christians, we will be resurrected, bodies reconstituted, uncorpsed, purged from sin stain, and we will be made brand new. And in Paul's mind, there's only one reason why that wouldn't happen to Christians. It's because Jesus actually didn't defeat death. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, bodily, 
his actual human body, his heart pumping, nerve endings reactivated, blood cell count flying up, neurons firing in his brain. If those things didn't happen, look at the list of things that Paul says unravel. Look at verse 14. So he says, if we're not raised, then Christ must not have been raised. And here's what's the consequence of Christ not being, being raised and therefore us not being raised. 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our preaching's pointless. What we're doing right now is irrelevant. All of it. Goodbye. Done. Shut it down. Your faith is pointless. It's empty. It's trash. He's showing how all these other things, they, they don't make any sense anymore. And I'm, there's a, look at verse 29. We're not going to be able to talk about this at length, but it is a weird moment. And this whole baptism on the dead thing, what is going on here? A lot of scholars are like, we're not sure what the Corinthians were doing. Some kind of vicarious baptism for people who have already died. No, that's not ever taught in the scriptures. And Paul, I think Paul's correcting two things. You can see it in 29. What do, you, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? It's like, what are you doing? That makes no sense. But Mormons teach this. But Paul's condemning it. And he shows them how ridiculous this even is, just rooted in what they're struggling with. If the dead are not raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? He says, one, you're baptizing on behalf of the dead. That makes no sense. And secondly, you're doing it, and you don't even believe people are going to rise again. So this is pointless. You're contradicting yourself. And this is way weird. So Paul's showing them how if Christ isn't raised, then all the stuff that we're doing, it really makes no sense at all. Verse 15, if Christ hasn't been raised, we are found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ. So I'm lying about God. You're lying about God. We've been saying that he raised Jesus from the dead. And if, he, if we don't raise, turns out we just have this kind of raw, raw religious cheer. That if you and I aren't raised from the dead when we sing that song, I will rise. That was just raw, raw religious cheer. A little pep up. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now think about that for a moment. This is one of the scariest things to imagine. Imagine you aren't saved. Imagine right now that you still are in your sins. I can't even fathom that long without wanting to puke. Imagine you're still dead in your sins. All of your sins against God, the, the decades of sin, the secret thoughts, the lust, the envy, the pride, the anger, instead of you being forgiven because of Jesus, no, now it is all held against you and you are enslaved to it and you are chained to it. Is an, is an awful existence. It's horrifying, and yet this is the state of the world, and this might even be some of you today, still in your sins. And if Christ has not been raised, if we are not going to be raised, then we are still in him. Horrifying. In verse 18, those who have fallen asleep 
They've perished. If they're not raised, if Jesus has not been raised, then all the Christians who put their faith in Jesus, if he didn't rise, they've perished. Not annihilated. They've begun their eternity under God's wrath because what Jesus came to do didn't work. There's no escape from God's wrath. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise, then he's not the Messiah. He's a pitiful Facebook meme. Share this and you'll be blessed. It's empty, silly, and it's lame. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, who cares? If Jesus is just a token for our happy thoughts, for our best life now, then it's garbage and we should be pitied. When you walk into Ross or to Marshalls or any of these little places, you go to the clearance area sometimes. Sometimes there's a little statue of Jesus. I'll never forget this. Walking through on the clearance aisle, little statue of Jesus was like $1.99. Statue of Buddha, $1.99. If Jesus has not been raised, that sums it up. It should actually be like 99 cents then for Jesus and $1.99 for Buddha. Paul says all of this. Not because the Corinthians were doubting Jesus' resurrection, but because they were dismissing their own resurrection. If you dismiss your own resurrection, your eternal life to come, Paul says, then you don't understand Jesus. Friends, if we downplay our resurrection, we don't understand Jesus. What Paul is getting at is the first thing today is that there is great comfort found in the resurrection. So are you comforted by the resurrection? Look at verse 20. So that's all downer, 12 to 19, but 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So in fact, Jesus has been raised. Paul knows. He experienced it. And every Christian knows this. You've experienced it too by faith. We aren't missing out because we haven't seen the risen Christ with our own eyes like Paul and like Peter. Jesus says, blessed are those who will believe and who haven't seen what you see, as he told his disciples. That's us. So it is a glorious and universe-quaking fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because everyone else that has come back to life before Jesus came back to life, they too died again. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with a glorified new model of the human body. The resurrected model of the human body. He completely undid the work of death. Now, verse 20, look at what it says. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. What, how does he describe him now? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits means he's the first wave of what's occurring. And you and I will be the second wave. This first fruits is showing, guaranteeing another harvest of reconstituted bones and organs. Resurrected and glorified bodies are on the way. Right now, right now, if you are a Christian, brothers and sisters, you are a seed 
of a glorified, resurrected body to come. You will die. Now, we, we, like, I just preached my first funeral a couple weeks ago for, for a family member. And I like, I like preaching funerals a lot more than I like doing weddings. People are actually listening at funerals. No one's distracted by a cute little flower girl. But there I am preaching with an open casket corpse right next to me. Preaching about eternity and the life to come. This is why Ecclesiastes says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. And one of the other guys doing the service, he said a lot of great things, and, but a lot of the Christians, we have the same sentiment. When we die, we're just going to shed our earth suit and we're going to go to how we really should be. We're going home. Heaven, the present heaven is not your home. You were made to live on earth. You will live in heaven for a small period of time. And when the Lord Jesus descends, you will be recaptured into your body, a resurrected, glorified body. And Jesus is going to make a new earth and we will live on the new earth together forever with him. You will live on earth forever, a new earth, a more sparkly and shiny earth, one rid of all the stains and effects of sin. So when you die, you're right now you're just this little seed of a resurrected body to come. When you die, you'll be put in the ground like a seed. You'll be put in the soil. And then when the Lord peels back the clouds and descends, our bodies will spring up and be in full bloom as glorious resurrected brothers and sisters in Christ. Since Jesus rose from the dead, this is our future. And now since 12 to 19, they are a complete bummer if Christ has not been raised. But since Jesus has been raised, we reverse them now. Now we can flip them all back. Look at 19. Since Christ has been raised, this takes on a new flavor. In Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are all people most to be pitied. So now, since Christ has been raised, we don't have hope just in this life only. Because of Jesus, we have hope beyond this life. This is a part of our great gospel too. We don't only offer people forgiveness in this life, some kind of lozenge for their spiritual discomfort. Jesus offers hope beyond this life into eternity. I mean, think about Jesus. He is a radical and limitless person. Who can give hope beyond this life? Who can give hope beyond the casket? Who else can do that? Every person here... Believer, unbeliever, you should consider the deep significance, the deep reality beyond this life. What is it? That word hope. We don't have hope in this life only. We have hope beyond this life if you're in Christ. And the way the Bible uses the word hope, it's not the way we use it today in our culture of wishful thinking. Yeah, I hope I can make it. That's not the way the Bible uses hope. The Bible uses hope as assurance, a steady-handed assurance. What awaits you beyond this life? It can, I know it can be overwhelming to think about it. Talking with a family member before the funeral, he said, oh, I, death scares me. I said, why? He's like, I, have, I just, just, what's after 
I said, I said you don't have to be afraid. I said, I'm not afraid. He said, that's because you're 30. I was like, no way. It doesn't matter. I think I still understand what death is. Just You add 30 years into my life doesn't mean I understand, oh no, my body stops. You understand what it is. It can be overwhelming to consider, but don't back away from it. You start to think about death, what lies beyond the grave, and you go, oh, that's too much, too much. No, 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 press into that. Go into it, stare into it, and you just might discover the Savior. Are you comforted by the risen Christ? Are you comforted in your death and beyond your death? Every Christian should have a sure and steady hand toward death, not because we're morbid, but because we know the Messiah. We have a guarantee from the Almighty God that we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. We have hope in Christ in this life and and beyond this life. There is no other source. Now look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if Christ has been raised, my faith is not futile and I am not still in my sins. Since Jesus rose from the dead, you are still not in your sins. Do you see how powerful the resurrection is? And how you should view yourselves because Christ has been raised on your behalf. Do you see how you should view your sin? If Christ hasn't been raised, I'm still in my sin. If Christ has been raised, I'm not in my sin. But a lot of us, the way we talk, the way we counsel, the way we speak, the way we think, it's as though Christ hasn't been raised. I'm just stuck in this sin. I'm chained to the sin. I'm waiting to be freed. If Christ has been raised, you have been freed. We aren't controlled by sin anymore. We aren't in it anymore because we are in him. We aren't slaved to sin anymore. Sin only has the power that we welcome it. We aren't guilty before God anymore because of our sins. All because Jesus died in our place, we are no longer in them. We are forgiven, and we have been raised with him indeed. I love the way Romans says this. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who delivered him up for our trespasses, and what? Raised for our justification. The resurrection is the receipt, is the approval from the Father. I have accepted the Son's sacrifice on your behalf. Is this how you view your current status in your sins? Do you still picture yourself as being bullied by sin? But you see, if Christ was raised from the dead, sin no longer has any authority over you. Romans 6, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also. You also, what? Must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We, we talk about laying our sins at, at the cross, or you got to see that sin on the cross, and that is good, and we should talk that way. But we should finish it. You should also see our sins laid in front of the empty tomb and see them disappear. 
that sin you struggle with, that sin that entangles you so deeply, you cast it off, you see it on the cross, you see it paid for, and you see it on the empty tomb, and then poof, it's just gone. No longer has dominion over you. We should discover great comfort in the resurrection of Jesus and in our resurrection to come. And we should also be emboldened by his resurrection. Are you courageous because of the resurrection? You should be comforted and courageous. I mean, you saw in this middle part, beginning from verse 24 to 28, when he says, and the end will come. The Lord will descend. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, we're just awaiting for the alarm clock of Gabriel's trumpet. And we will get up and we will rise. And then Jesus will subdue every authority, every demonic power, every satanic force will be under his feet forever. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we are the weapons of mass destruction against death. When we rise, that is the nuclear cosmic bomb against death, showing it's been defeated. And Paul says, matter-of-factly, if Jesus is dead, if we are not going to rise, why in the world are we doing all of this? Why in the world am I doing this? Look at verse 32. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and tomorrow before we die. Paul says, what's the point of all this then? Wild beasts, this could have been literal or metaphorical. Not sure. We don't know. He could have been referencing the mobs and the riots he faced, the people he faced. It could have been he was thrown in some kind of pit and had to fight off animals like we know Greco-Roman culture would do especially the emperor around this time, he would totally do things like this. So Paul's saying, what's the point? Why did I plant these churches? Why did I endure these mobs? In 2 Corinthians 11, he gives this wild snapshot of some of the things he endured. Countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of all the churches. This is 2 Corinthians 11. He tells them all this. So Paul's thinking, why am I doing all this if Jesus hasn't been raised and if we are not going to be raised? Why am I enduring being shipwrecked? No resurrection. I've been wasting my life. Verse 32, Paul says, I should be partying then. I should be getting drunk, basically, is what Paul says. But Paul's vision of the resurrection and eternity on the new life freed him up to live boldly for Christ. Are you now courageous and have more zeal and are now emboldened because of the resurrection and the new life to come? Listen, you live best on this earth when you are looking towards the new earth. Do you live as though you have nothing more to be excited about than unbelievers? You really don't need a bucket list, guys. At least not that kind. 
You might need an evangelistic missional bucket list. Snorkeling in Hawaii, you will do that in the new earth. You will own Hawaii in the new earth. We'll all own it together. We'll be able to go together. And you'll, you'll be, I believe you'll be able to go to the moon and explore. I believe you'll be, you'll be able to go to the far reaches of the universe and explore. I mean, we have eternity to invent and to create and to explore. We are going to have a blast. The most pure enjoyment and fun ever because we'll enjoy all the good gifts from our great God and Savior. You'll enjoy dinosaurs again. I think they will, all the extinct animals, I think Jesus will make them all new as well, as Romans 8 says. You won't have to fear from a T-Rex. You will ride a T-Rex. There, there, there won't be any kind of museum with all these fossils. There won't be zoos. You'll enjoy it all. You will not be limited in enjoying God's creation for billions and trillions and quintillions of years. But you won't be able to travel to Thailand and tell unreached peoples about Jesus. You won't be able to give your money towards pro-life movements. You won't be able to evangelize your family members and urge them to look at Jesus. This is the kind of bucket list we need. If there isn't a resurrection to come, let's shut this down now, spare the 11, and let's go wait till Specs opens at noon. If that's all we have to live for, let's do it. But since there is a resurrection to come, life today is recalibrated, given a fresh wind and a, a fresh outlook. Our problem today is not that we deny the resurrection to come, is that we downplay it to where it's practically deniable. Looking to the resurrection lifts you out of the pit of pursuing pleasures that will be irrelevant 10 billion years from now. Most usually irrelevant 10 minutes from now. But we exalt these things and pursue them and put all of our effort into them and realizing, I'm going to enjoy anything in this creation, anything that honors God, I'll enjoy forever. So what that you don't have the house you've always wanted? Jesus is preparing a place for you. And Jesus is alive. So what you don't have your dream job? You will one day. Jesus is alive. So what you don't make the money you crave? The resurrection reveals that money is not what makes your world go round. Jesus is alive. Paul never felt shortchanged. Jesus saves him, encounters him on the road to Damascus, saves him, and now what happens to Paul after that? He goes from being a scholar, a religious leader, very successful, very prominent, up-and-coming guy, and he abandons all that, and he becomes homeless too. A traveling missionary, making tents, preaches, gets persecuted, and then gets beheaded in Rome. And there's never an ounce in Paul where he feels like, man, I got shortchanged. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was radicalized to do amazing things for Christ. He didn't fear anyone. 
because he knew the resurrected Christ. He wasn't intimidated by anyone or anything because he knew that Jesus is alive. Nothing overwhelmed him because he knew that Jesus is alive. He was willing to live to the extreme and burn it all out for Christ because we too will rise. So are you growing in boldness for Christ? Are you growing in zeal for Christ? If you feel stunted, it's probably because you aren't stunned by the resurrection. Christ's and yours. We can ask it this way. How relevant is the risen Lord Jesus to your life right now? How relevant was he yesterday? Some of us live as though he's still dead. It doesn't matter day in and day out. We bring the big stuff to him. We bring our big struggles to him. Heavy stuff, we'll include him. But does the risen Christ change you now? Does the risen Christ empower you now? Do you open up your Bible not because you've got to check it off, because there is a risen Savior? Do you pray, not because it's something you just are supposed to do as a good Christian, but because Jesus is alive? Does the risen Christ motivate you? Are you courageous because of the resurrection? Are you comforted by the resurrection? And lastly, are, do you feel corrected by the resurrection? Look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. This is a quote from a play in this era. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul's charge to them is striking. Wake up from your ridiculousness. You are thinking like a drunken barfly. And we know inspirational and biblical thinking doesn't flow from the fumes of an empty bottle. How practical is the resurrection right now? Paul's answer, stop sinning. Because Jesus died for your sins and rose again, we don't act like sin is insignificant. We don't act like sin is irrelevant. We have new life. Bad company ruins good morals. Something must have been happening in the Corinthian church that they were inviting maybe some of these philosophers that were listening to them, and it was infecting their, not just their theology, but their morality. This is always true. What you believe is always tethered to how you live. Your theology and your morality, they go hand in hand. And it doesn't take long for a zombie to ruin a crowd. You've watched these zombie movies, these zombie shows. They're all fenced in. They're all protected. They're like, okay, we're good. Zombie somehow slips through the gate, and now he's eating people. Doesn't take long for a zombie to ruin a crowd. It doesn't take long for bad theology to ruin good morality, good Christ-centered, Jesus-exalting, eschatology-minded morality. So here, here, does the Lord Jesus correct you? The risen Lord Jesus, does he correct you? Does he compel you? Because of his grace. When you are tempted, this is, this is what Paul's getting at. When you are tempted and you're teetering towards that sin, is you ask yourself, you stop, you think, is Jesus alive or not? Since Jesus is alive, I'm not going to do that. 
Jesus isn't alive, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, who cares? When you're tempted and you're leaning in and you're thinking about that too long, you step back and go, is Jesus alive? I, I too am alive. I'm a seedling of a resurrected body. When you are doubting and you're overwhelmed with anxious thoughts, you start speaking to yourself. You, you start preaching the gospel to yourself. Is my Redeemer alive or not? And you live accordingly by faith. As Spurgeon says, your hope must not be here. And what, even in what your hands can do, but there on yonder cross in what he did, and there on yonder throne in him who has risen again for your justification. And when you realize the resurrection, his and yours to come, you will be comforted by the resurrection. You'll find new hope in this life and beyond this life. You'll be courageous because of the resurrection. You'll be emboldened to do amazing things for Jesus, to do to evangelize that one person, to go on that one mission trip, to, to go and engage that one pro-life cause. And then you also, you'll be corrected, realizing, I don't want to go on sinning because I have a great risen Savior and I too will rise. May the Spirit of Christ help you realize the resurrection, His and yours to come. Let's pray. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to come forward. And even now, as we go to the Lord's Supper, the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves and to confess any known sin. So now I encourage us to confess whatever we need to before the Lord. Are we going on sinning as though we have no knowledge of God, as the end of the passage says? Maybe the prayer is a simple, Lord, would you help me to live towards the new earth and not just this earth and all the things that moth and rust will destroy? Lord, would you teach me how to be courageous because of the resurrection? Lord, would you help me to find great comfort in the resurrection? Maybe it's even, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of scared of death. Would you give me the faith that sees it as gain? And if you want Jesus to save you today, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And if you confess that for your sins, you shall be saved.